Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, we're going to get granular in the second half of Powerhouse Politics. I love we're it. Gonna go, we're going to go to the state of Georgia. Uh, uh, we have our, our, our colleague, uh, uh, Quinn Scanlon, has set us up with a, an interview. Uh, it's a good booking. I like this. With the Secretary of State for the state of Georgia. This, uh, we're going to get granular. What votes are coming in? What's happening? Is Do we see a lot of ballots showing up in rivers and ditches? Uh, or are they, uh, is everything going smoothly in Georgia? We're going to check in and ask all the relevant questions. But I got to tell you, Rick, I am blown away as we are now six days out from the election at the turnout numbers. I mean, it is actually mind-boggling. Um, perhaps no state more... Uh, uh, eye-opening than the state of Texas. So I'm going to put you on the spot here at the start of powerhouse politics, because I know you are, you are a prognosticator. I just report you prognosticate. I, 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 I'm going to name, I'm going to name a handful of states. By the way, this is not Trevor's my witness. I have not told Rick we are doing this until just this moment. Um, what do I get if I'm right? Wait a second. Before we play the game, what, do, do, I, do I win a prize? Do I win candy? Anything? Do I get anything? I, I'm not exactly going to ask you to predict. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a series of states, and I want you to give me the order in which the likelihood. So you have your pen out? The likelihood in which uh, uh, Biden wins, takes back a state that, that, that Trump won four years ago. Are you okay, ready? So you need them listed as the likelihood. Okay, I, I like Yes, yes. Go and and I want you to go from most likely to least likely. Give me okay? the states. Yeah. Okay. Ohio. Okay. Florida. Mm-hmm. Georgia. Yes. Texas. Pennsylvania. That's it. We don't even get to play with Wisconsin. We don't get to play with Nebraska too. Those are oh, just those are my five. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Uh, you know. I, I don't want to make this too complicated okay. for you. Yeah. I mean, I okay. this I, I I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but but you got that. So so okay. Ohio. Yes, I got it. I got it. Go ahead. So all right, Pennsylvania is number one. Okay. And that, by the way. Probably delivers Joe Biden the presidency if that's if that's the case, but I think Pennsylvania is the most likely on on that list. I am going to give the second slot to the state of Georgia, and wow. I'm going to give the third slot to Texas. Oh my god! Number four, Florida, <laughs> and number five, Ohio. There you got it. There you got it. That's the order. so that's so so this point. is this is rather remarkable. Uh, you you are putting Georgia and Texas ahead of Ohio and ahead of Florida. I mean, this yeah. This is a different battleground map. This is a different yeah. map. It, it and, is, and, and, and why? You, and why do you think? Yeah, give, give me a give sure. Me a no, I mean, and actually, I'll tell, I'll tell you. You know, frankly, I'm I'm cutting against on the Florida thing. I'm downgrading it a little bit, despite our what our you know the people that actually look at the numbers in you know in uh, <laughs> at five thirty eight uh, put it. You know, and you didn't put Arizona on this list because that's you know they're somewhere in this mix. I think you know probably slightly more likely than. Or a little less likely to Pennsylvania, so I'd put them as like one and a half if you had given me that option. And okay. and I, you know, Nebraska too is another another one in that in that group. But I, I Obama, think, huh? yeah, exactly. I, I think one one reason that um, that you're going to see, uh, you know, I think Florida is fading in part because Florida COVID has become a lot less of a top you know front burner issue. The state's largely opened up. Um, and um, you're just seeing enormous enthusiasm for President Trump. I've talked to a number of Republicans who feel like that is closing strong. I, I, I've talked to some others that think the same in Pennsylvania. Georgia and Texas, I, I think, you know, looking at how the campaign is playing, um, the vice president spent a full day in Georgia uh, a week before the election. That hasn't gone Democrat, as you know, John, since, since Bill Clinton 
in the you know strange Ross Perot year of 1992. First time around, 92, not even not 96, 92. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, Texas, Texas. I, I I'm I'm upgrading chances based on the the unbelievable explosion of of early voting among young people uh, in particular. Uh, and I know there's a lot of Republicans that are voting as part of that too. And I'm not discounting that possibility or how hard it is to flip Texas, but I think that is um, similar to Georgia, a sign of you know the diversifying coalition of voters and you know moving a little faster. It's it's frankly easier for President Trump's vision of of America uh, to kind of keeping uh, his coalition together in states with uh, with a large number of uh, of non-college white voters. Um, including many that didn't vote last time, and that that might give him more strength in a, in a Florida or in Ohio. Um, so that's that's my back of the envelope. Um, I think Pennsylvania on that list is, is most likely, and I, you know I'm more bearish on Ohio than the rest. But you know I I, I can kind of I could kind of flip the order at the end there. I think Florida is going to be tough. I think Florida, you know, as we know, if if Florida if Florida goes for for Joe Biden, we're talking about a landslide. Uh, in fact, many of these states are kind of padding. Well, if Texas, if Texas, Texas, if Texas, Georgia, goes, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, don't you know? Don't save the tape if I'm wrong, as always. But that's that's where my list is. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, well. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't make. I didn't, I didn't ask for actual predictions. I just asked right. for a, a Order, sliding yeah. scale of of likelihood. Now, I, I didn't ask you about Wisconsin or Michigan, but we do have new ABC News Washington Post polls out. Um, I Wisconsin, we have a. I mean, I, I want to make sure I'm reading this correctly. We have a 17 point lead for Joe Biden. Yep. Is that, is that, am I reading that right? You're reading, you're reading it correctly. Um, it's, it's seven in Michigan, by the way. And, and let me, let me just say a couple things about our, our poll in, um, in, in Wisconsin. First of all, I'm enormously glad that we're doing this state polling with the Washington Post. Um, and I am enormously glad that when we get a number, uh, as uh, a surprising as that, that we put the poll out there and we don't hedge bets or, Shave, shave the numbers in any way. That's what our poll found. Now, you know, our, our friends at 538 will be ready to point out that there are outlier polls. There are pad polls. There are misses. That's part of the system. Sometimes you miss. I'm not saying this is one of them. This might be, the, you know, this might be one. It might be a leading indicator of something else that's, that's breaking. I will say that our polling and others have picked out something significant, which is that uh, COVID is a thing. And it's a thing on voters' minds. And in places where it is more on voters' minds, it is hurting, not helping, hurting President Trump. Because President Trump is talking about COVID as if we're already past that and well on our way to recovery. And if you are seeing and living in a place where it is a very real fact of life, where your hospitals are overwhelmed, where your loved ones are either sick or in danger of being sick, you're just not buying what President Trump is selling at this moment. So whether we land at the, on election day, you know, we're never predictive in these things anyway, but you know, whether we're talking about a mid-15 you know, mid range, double digits, teens type of a victory for Joe Biden or not, I think the story of COVID is likely to be the story of the election. And it has been for many, many months, despite uh, what, how the president has, has tried to portray his campaign. And Wisconsin is a place that is experiencing as, as, as big a spike as any place in the country. It's, it, it's the hottest of the hotspots right now. Yes. Uh, uh, now, yeah, it is. It, it, it is. It, yes, exactly right. And Rick, the, the the president barely mentions COVID in all these rallies he's giving. By the way, just a moment to marvel at the guy's schedule. I mean, I am I am blown away uh, by how aggressive he is campaigning. He is uh, uh, he is not going to leave it in the locker room. Uh, he is uh, uh, he is making a, a a push that is that is 
that is mind blowing. I mean, hitting some 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 days three different, not just three different rallies, but three different states. Uh, you know, running around uh, the country, uh, speaking. Did this the, the rally speeches often clock in at over an hour. A very little mention of COVID, though. And when he mentions COVID, well, let's listen to what he said about COVID in Michigan, which, uh, frankly, I, I could have played several of his speeches all over the country with a similar theme. But here's what he said in, uh, in Michigan on Tuesday. Can't watch anything else. Turn on. COVID, 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 COVID. Well, we have a spike. In cases, you ever notice they don't use the word death, they use the word cases, cases. Like Baron Trump is a case. He has sniffles. He was sniffling. One Kleenex, that's all he needed. One, how is it? And he was better. But he's a case, okay? He's a case, Baron Trump. Young people cases. And you know why we have so many cases? Because we test more. So we go around and they're a very, by the way, we're testing very young people too. We're testing people in school. We're testing everybody. In many ways, I hate it. In many ways, I hate it. We test everybody. But overall, it's good to have the testing. We find out where it is, and there are a lot of things. But they use it to make us look bad. First of all, who knew you could do a stand-up routine about COVID? Uh, who knew in the midst of a pandemic that's taken, you know, uh, uh, upwards of, uh, of 225, 230,000 Americans, you could do a stand-up routine? Um, you know, the whole bit about Barron and the sniffles. But, um, you know, that's, that's the theme. And, and I, I thought that we, we, we've now seen Barack Obama out on the, on the trail. Um, uh, I mean, gosh, I think we may see as much of Obama as Biden here in the closing days. Uh, but, but Obama hit him back hard on exactly this point by basically, well, anyway, take a listen. What's his closing argument? That people are too focused on COVID. He said this at one of his rallies. COVID, 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 he's complaining. He's jealous of COVID's media coverage. If we were focused on COVID now, the White House wouldn't be having its second outbreak in a month. The White House. Let me say this. I lived in the White House for a while. You know, it's a controlled environment. You can take some preventive measures in the White House to avoid getting sick, Except this guy can't seem to do it. He's turned the White House into a hot zone. By the way, I mean, Obama fully engaged on this election, as you hear there. Um, but I, I've heard from a former top official in the, uh, in, in the Trump White House who was making a very similar point to me uh, in, in the days after the president tested positive and was taken to, uh, to Walter Reed, that it's a political liability. It's not just a health issue. It's also a political issue that the White House has been so irresponsible as to allow now a second outbreak uh, among very senior people in this White House. Um, it, it, it shows it, 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 this person was predicting exactly this kind of line from, from Obama, basically, that, that, that the argument would be if he can't even protect the White House, how can he protect you? It is remarkable how COVID has continued to bring itself back. A virus doesn't care about you know who you are or you know the 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 circumstances. But you know, thinking back to the Amy Coney Barrett um, uh, nomination event that ended up being literally a super spreader event through the president uh, and the first lady's own 
diagnosis with COVID and right through the, 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 the new outbreak inside the vice president's staff. And you couple that with the fact that when the president goes out there and tens of thousands of people are out there, they're enormous crowds and the president has unbelievable energy and the crowds are excited, all of those things. There is no real uh, nod to the fact of COVID. And to be now traveling in places where COVID is front page news, uh, new spikes, new infection zones throughout the upper Midwest, that is a, an unbelievable kind of invasion of the issue into the into the discourse. And there is no way around that. And what we have seen in polling for months and months and months, John, is that the country just doesn't trust President Trump on the issue of COVID. And it, it, it seems to be reinforced by this, if anything. And he has needed, I feel like we said this months ago, John, he has needed COVID to fade. Uh, he has needed the country to be able to look to the other side of it, to be able to make the case that we're on a path to economic recovery. And there were glimmers of that weeks or months ago. But listen to the health officials now inside his own administration, or just look at the numbers and you recognize that is not how people are living their lives. And to have that dominate the headlines in the last week before the election, to me, it has, it has choked off the realistic possibilities of a, of a Trump comeback. Yeah. And, and, he, and let's face it, he, he faced an uphill uh, fight here even without COVID. Um, I mean, even even without COVID, this was going to be a, a very tough race. It's not over. I'm not, we're not saying it's over, guys. Please, uh, but uh, but but very very difficult set of circumstances. Hey, before we take a quick break, do you mind? Do you have, do you have about a minute? I, I just want to play a, a, a clip that kind of caught my attention. This is a little bit out of left field, uh, but our, but our friend Jonathan Swan over at Axios for their uh, their HBO uh, show had. Uh, had an exchange that caught my attention with Senator Ted Cruz. Is one of the things that has um, that, that I've marveled at. You and I have both discussed. I think on this podcast we've discussed is uh, the way the Republicans have completely given up on what was the perhaps the maybe outside of healthcare, maybe even including healthcare was the animating issue uh, when when Obama was in the White House. The debt. The deficit you had, you had Ted Cruz himself drive us to a government shutdown because, um, you know, in in in, in part on this uh, on this issue, uh, you had uh, you know Republicans in the House, the Freedom Caucus, unwilling uh, to uh, to raise the debt ceiling, didn't want a penny more of deficit spending, didn't want that debt ceiling to be raised. Um, a, Couple of those people actually went to work at very high levels in the in the Trump White House, and yet we are now in a situation where uh, we have shattered by any measure uh, the, uh, uh, the the amount of deficit spending. We have a three trillion dollar deficit for this year. Three trillion dollar deficit for twenty twenty. So anyway, Ted Cruz sat down for an interview with Jonathan Swan, and here's a excerpt. Mick Mulvaney had a great quote and he said, you know, when, when there's a Democrat in the White House, my party, boy, do we care about the deficits, the worst thing in the world when Barack Obama's president. But Donald Trump came in and, you know, we're not so worried about that anymore. He's, he's right, isn't he? So look, I'm very worried about the debt and yeah. I'm worried about it under Trump. Uh, now, to be fair, Trump didn't campaign on cutting the debt. He did. He said he was I going to eliminate the national debt in eight years. He also said something, what is it, I'm the king of debt uh, in 2016. Do I wish that it was a higher priority for the president 
to rein in spending and the debt? Yes. In terms of how you eliminate the deficit and move towards reducing the debt. Um, You're going to say growth. The most important right. factor. Do you think your colleagues, the Republican Party, will rediscover its concern about oh, debt sure. and deficits? Sure. I mean, isn't that the most cynical, phony thing? Oh, look, thing? Th th there's an isn't element that, of it. Doesn't that make you it, want to puke? You're touching into something that, as you know, I have raged against. And I have raged against my own party not genuinely fighting to rein in spending and deficits and debt. First of all, I mean, I just I love Jonathan's, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, what he got, he was going to eliminate the national debt, not, yeah, not, yeah. not balance the budget, eliminate the debt. Eliminate okay? the debt. You understand yeah. what that means? Yeah. That means all the previous deficits, you know, we're going we're gonna to pay it all off. So, um, so I just have to say, as we, as we get ready to, to go to break here, come on, man. I mean, Ted Cruz raging. Does he raged at all uh, over the last four years about about deficit spending? Raged? I've raged. Yes. Two observations that we saw. We actually saw, we saw John Cornyn enough for re-election in Texas say something similar. He's disagreed with the president sometimes on, on, on the deficit question, and he just hasn't raised it because he didn't think it'd be as productive. There's two things going on here. One is there are active attempts to define the election narrative by Republicans who are going to be still in office on the other side of this and may, like Ted Cruz, have other political ambitions. And one of the things they're going to say about, the Republic, about Donald Trump is that he wasn't governing like a true conservative, that he strayed from certain principles, spending among, among them. And that will be, to my second point, a convenient time for them to find that narrative because it will happen at the same time in that, in that world where Joe Biden is president and he probably has a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House. And he's going to want to do things. And yes, I think it's firm. I can break this prediction right now. Uh, Mick Mulvaney's right. Ted Cruz is right. Republicans will rediscover their concerns around deficit spending the moment that uh, that Joe Biden is announced the winner of the election. They will start to talk about the, uh, the un unkeepable promises of, uh, of of Democrats, and they will stand in firm opposition to that spending. And that principle will be back. And I hope that we keep the tape. That we remember that, and and we cover that uh, as uh, the uh, as the example of uh, of uh, hypocrisy that it truly will be, because we just haven't heard that for eight years. That may be four years. Four, four years. years. Four we years. Heard that since. It, it, we that heard may that be now. the safest. That may be the safest prediction you have made yet. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We will come back with the Georgia Secretary of State here on Powerhouse Politics. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, he is an engineer and business owner who served in the Georgia House of Representatives uh, from 2015 until his election for Secretary of State back in 2018. And he is a Republican. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So I, I saw you just held a press conference. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like remarkable turnout uh, both in terms of absentee voting and early voting in Georgia. In 2016, 4.1 million Georgians voted. Uh, pretty good turnout. Uh, what do you expect for 2020? Well, we very well could hit 4.1 million voters before we even hit uh, Tuesday. If we add one and a half to two, we'll be looking at pushing 6 million total voters uh, in the state of Georgia this fall. That is an unbelievable increase uh, election over election. How many are in right now? Right now, we have 3.2 million Georgians have voted either 
uh, with absentee or early in person. And what's the breakdown? How much absentee, how much in person? Uh, about 1 million absentee and then 2.2 million in person. And, and can you describe for us the, the, the safeguards that you have put in place, uh, particularly regarding the absentee, you know, that, which is largely, largely vote by mail? I guess you, you have a number of drop, drop locations so people can drop off their absentee ballot as well. But, but what, what, what are the safeguards that you've put in place to, to, to guard against the kind of fraud that we've heard uh, people like, well, I mean, I guess the president talk about? Well, Georgia has had our no excuse absentee uh, law in place since 2005. This year with the uh, COVID uh, pandemic, we had to tweak a few things with the state election board. First of all, we had the absentee ballot portal for the application process. So Georgia requires voters by law to request a ballot. Uh, but the portal worked great. In less than 30 seconds, people could request their ballot, put in your day, your birth date, uh, day, month, year, uh, your name, and then also your driver's license. And that connected with the Department of Driver Services so we could uh, truly identify that person. That's an additional security feature. And that is good for both the voter, but also people that aren't using the process so they can have confidence in the security of the absentee ballot system. Then we also added absentee ballot drop boxes. And particularly today is Wednesday, getting close. Uh, Postal Service yesterday said it was their last day. And so we have all these absentee ballot drop boxes that voters can you know, get their absentee ballot off the kitchen table today or tomorrow, but soon, and go ahead and fill it all out and then drop it into a drop box. So that's another uh, innovation that we incorporated this year. So what is your level of confidence that this vote, that there will be integrity to the vote in Georgia, uh, that, that, that this will be, you're not going to have a situation where people have voted fraudulently, voted twice, uh, where, where ballots were thrown in a river or a ditch somewhere. What is your level of confidence that you will have an accurate vote count in Georgia? <laughs> we feel confident about the processes. We have the appropriate guardrails uh, in the system, uh, and it's really process-driven. And so we want to make sure with the absentee ballots that there's a process. In fact, we're allowing the counties to uh, open up and call, it's called pre-canvassing, but begin scanning the absentee ballots early so that we can process that so we can get voters their results, you know, as soon as we can, you know, Tuesday night uh, or Wednesday morning. And I think the sooner we can get results that are accurate out to everyone, I think that helps, you know, calm things down. And it really just, you know, gives people that sense of, uh, you know, comfort that there's a safe, secure, sensible process in place. And one more question before Rick jumps in here. Uh, the, 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 the vote by mail, those no excuse uh, absentee right. ballots, uh, do they have, to be, they have to be received by the time polls close? What if you drop it in the yes. mail and it doesn't get, it gets there the, the next day, you're, you're, you, it doesn't count? State law requires that it, it does need to be received no later than 7 p.m. on Tuesday, the, the time that elections close. Mr. Secretary, you referenced the, the efforts being made to begin to at least process the ballots. Um, obviously, this is going to tax the system, this enormous number of votes, the record turnout that, that Georgia and so many other states are expected to have when, it, when it's done. The president said a few times recently that there needs to be a winner declared on election night. And I know you talked about your optimism that we're going to know either Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning in, in Georgia. But is there anything is there anything in state law or anything in the process that, that requires a quote-unquote winner on election night? No, it's uh, after we follow through the process and we've tabulated all the votes, that's really when we, you know, and 
We're not in the process really of declaring winners. That's usually the news media that does that. We'll post our results but when that's at 100%. But also when the race is, uh, say someone has 52%, another person has 48%, state rep, state senate, whatever that race may be, then you look at how many absentee ballots outstanding that haven't been counted yet are there. Are there enough that if they all went 100% to that one candidate behind? And that's so that really helps you make those projections. Uh, I know that the counties right now are scanning. And so all they have left to do as soon as those polls close is press that button for tabulation. And so they can upload those results very quickly. And that's a good thing. So it's not it's not not that there'll necessarily be a final result. If it's close, obviously, you'll have a lot counted, but not necessarily a winner or a, a result on election night. You've got time to to declare that under state law, right? To, to certify exactly. the results. Uh, right. It all, you have to get all the processes done, and then the counties go through their uh, process of, of really providing us the certification county by county. We upload that, and they have about a week and a half to do that. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you're doing around COVID-19. I know there was already an outbreak in the Fulton County election warehouse. Uh, what What's being done at the state level and at the local level to support uh, support the counting process and also the poll workers. I mean, are you concerned about poll workers getting sick uh, and just and, and whether voters need to be worried about uh, COVID precautions if they decide to vote uh, either early in person or on election day in person? Well, the poll workers, by and large, will be separated uh, from the voters with a plexiglass screen. Many of those were provided by a gift from Home Depot, so we're really grateful for that. But that's the first thing that people will notice. Then they'll notice that many of the poll workers have on a mask and a gloves, and then everything is disinfected. The machines are disinfected before you use them and disinfected after you use them. And then we also have you know, the little red dots that are spaced six feet on center to space out voters when we have lines. And really to make sure that we only have so many voters, the machines have been spaced out so they're not tight against each other, so they'll be spaced out six feet on center. Uh, so you get less machines in the same square footage. So it does mean that you don't get as many voters through a certain building size. That's why having the State Farm Arena, the Atlanta Hawks Arena open for early voting has been huge. We just handle so many voters per hour. And so it's been a tremendous benefit. So Georgia, uh, y you are counting those uh, are preparing those, those those votes to be tabulated as they come in. The, the, these these early vote the the uh, absentee the absentee okay so yeah, scan but not count scanned but not count and then and then when polls open is it when polls open you're going to hit the button and you'll be able to tabulate as soon as the polls close at seven p.m. as they as soon as they that's close. when you then you can start tabulating uh, and that's a relatively fast operation. So we're going to see results. Uh, 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 I'm not obviously not final results because you'll still be going, but but we're going to see a lot of votes tabulated that basically in the minutes after polls close in Georgia. Exactly. I was talking to a radio or TV down in Columbus, Georgia, and the county election director there. She said that uh, she is right now scanning all the ballots and getting it current, so she has no backlog left to go. And that's her goal is to have no backlog you know, by 7 p.m. So when she hits the button, she'll uh, every ballot that's been received, absentee ballot has been received, it'll be tabulated. That is huge. That'll give us very quick response. So, so that, that, that makes perfect sense to me, just as an observer here. Can, can you understand, I'm gonna ask you to go outside your lane just for a second. Can you understand these states uh, 
where uh, th th they're they're not even going to begin uh, uh, tabulating um, or preparing to tabulate, opening the envelopes in some cases uh, of, of these votes until polls close. Um, you know, like Pennsylvania. I mean, it, 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 I don't understand the argument for not <laughs> not getting ready. I mean, people have been voting in some of these places for for weeks. Why not? Why not get those ballots ready to be counted? I'm really grateful for the state election board, which I chair. Uh, it is a 4-1 uh, board. We have, uh, Democrat Party has their member, but this was a, a unified decision. These are Republicans and Democrats came together, understanding the situation. We really worked, uh, you know, together. And that was really my experience in the General Assembly is, uh, yes, we come from both sides of the aisle, but we, we can get things done. And I think that's really helpful. I think it's at the end of the day, we're putting the voters in the driver's seat. And, you know, voters need to, you know, they know that their vote counts, but they need to hear it from us sometimes that we understand how important they are in the process. And uh, everyone wants to get those results as soon as possible. Yeah, just doubling back real fast to something uh, something that we referenced earlier about uh, about the safeguarding against um, any any voter fraud. Your office put out some data uh, from the summer uh, finding that more than 1,300 instances of double voting during the, the primaries and the runoffs that, that, that were conducted in Georgia during, you know, kind of a chaotic time around COVID and everything else. What's been the follow-up on that? Have, have you referred cases for prosecution? And, and, and how can you – well, you didn't find out about these, as I understand it, until after the votes were reported. How can you make sure that it isn't going to happen again this year? Well, that issue, uh, some of that was going back to the poll workers, not really going back and checking to see if they had voted absentee. And then some people actually voted early and then they showed up on election day. And the reason that we wanted to get that information out, our investigation is ongoing. And as we finish up this election, uh, we'll be able to have a hearing with the state election board of all the violations that we've seen. But we wanted to let voters understand that this is a serious violation. This is a longstanding law that you'd be facing a criminal uh, penalties of up to $100,000 and up to 10 years in prison. And so we need to voters to understand that uh, we will prosecute when we find people that double vote because every time someone votes twice, you in effect have robbed someone else's lawful vote. And we just want you know, make sure that elections are run safely, sensibly, and responsibly, that uh, nothing is more important than that. But 1,300 instances for the summer, any prosecutions yet? No, it's under investigation. Uh, we have a lawful lot uh, that goes through the state election board. That it wasn't just those cases. Uh, we had two hearings, really, with the issues that went on in Fulton County, and we brought that to a conclusion. And we've signed a con consent degree in the state election board, and we'll be reviewing that uh, for their approval this Friday. So I, I know you have to go. I really appreciate you taking time to, to talk to us in such a busy time. I have one last question for you. Um, this, this incredible surge uh, that you have seen in the early vote, um, as well as, as, well as uh, the, the absentee, uh, do you have a sense of where it is coming from? Where are the big increases? Is it, is it out in the rural areas? Is it in the cities, suburbs? Where, where, where are you seeing the biggest increases in, in vote? It's really everywhere. It's young voters, middle-aged voters, older uh, uh, voters. You know, it's it, voters of all ages, all uh, all backgrounds, um, both political persuasions. It's just everyone is out there, and and so, and we predicted this back in January. We predicted five five million uh, voters. Uh, obviously, we should have aimed a little bit higher, uh, but for about 
two months now, I've been saying one and a half million absentees, two million earlies, and we've blown past that, and then two millions on election day. But I think now we'll be probably in the neighborhood of six million voters. And you have you have a competitive presidential race, which we, I mean, I, I, I guess there was some thought it was competitive four years ago, but but hasn't really been all that competitive uh, since uh, you probably have to go back to the '90s, maybe early '90s. Um, and uh, and you have two competitive Senate races, so Georgia's like <laughs> Georgia, Georgia's got it all going on right now, and all competitive. Right. So it, it kind of makes sense that you're that you're seeing the, the the turnout. Yep, everyone's paying attention, and everyone's getting out there to vote. All right. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you after this is all over. Okay. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Take care. Uh, Rick, that, that was it. I really, at this point, when you're less than a week out, I think it's so important to get granular what's happening in each state, especially with these concerns about, uh, you know, votes being counted, about, you know, the, the president's raising all these, you know, these thoughts of fraud and everything else. I mean, there you have a Republican Secretary of State uh, in Georgia um, expressing uh, total confidence that there's going to be a, an accurate vote count in Florida. I mean, in Georgia, and it sounds like it's going to be an early one. Well, let's let's hope for for something around this. You know, Georgia Georgia has been such a focus for the last several years of um, of concerns around voter disenfranchisement. Um, yes. uh, it has been at the, at the middle of you know some of the most heated debates out there. And look, the lines that we have seen already for uh, early voting and that we're expecting because it always happens in Georgia on election night is its own form of disenfranchisement for an argument of a lot of people that you shouldn't have to wait hours to be able to, to, to cast your vote. Uh, but to me, at least, it gives me a little hope that the election officials in this country um, have thought about this a lot, have planned for it. And when you hear a state where it's been as hyperpartisan as it's been in Georgia, where there's at least a, a modicum of bipartisanship and a Republican who's willing to say, you know, the process plays out and it, it forget what the president says for a moment here. There isn't rampant voter fraud, and uh, the the voting is going to take as long as the voting or the counting is going to take as long as it takes. The system is going to be taxed uh, by nature of the the record turnout that we're expecting, by nature of COVID nineteen, the legal changes, the behavioral changes around this. There's no question that all that all adds to it. But uh, to be able to filter out a little bit of the the rhetoric around it and say, okay, this is going to be in the hands of state officials who um, are planning for this and have the manpower for it. Let's hope it goes cleanly next week. And I asked him what the possible argument would be for not counting votes ahead of time, or, or at least preparing those votes to be tabulated, like they're doing in Georgia. They're all all the ballots are prepped. All he has to do is, all the local official has to do is hit the button, tabulate, boom, um, all of the votes that have come in uh, early uh, over the, from the mail and and in person get get counted. I mean, why the excuse me? Why the hell do you have states where officials are arguing against counting those early, those early votes until beginning the process until polls close why why yeah i mean look the, help the, me understand the, what's what is the rational argument for doing that well there's two things going on one is that the state laws have struggled 
to keep up with the changes that, um, that, that states are undergoing around COVID. So you've got states like Pennsylvania, for instance, that has no history of, of, of early voting of any significance. You can do absentee voting, but it was a small thing, uh, and no early in-person voting, no early mail-in voting of any significance that have opened up the doors to that significantly. So the law didn't catch up with it. And the efforts to reform the laws in uh, Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, frankly, fell victim to po- politics. They, they, you have divided state governments, you have um, a Trump campaign that's been very litigious around this and trying to, to limit um, the, uh, the ways that people vote and, and the windows in which people count. I, and it resulted in really an unfortunate paralysis that, you know, the, the fact that we've got literally millions of ballots that are just sitting there in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, uh, just waiting to get counted and that no one can, can even open them, start to process them, start to look at them until election day itself. Uh, you know, states like Georgia, Florida, North Carolina will have days and even weeks sometimes of a head start in terms of, of getting this done and would get us a lot closer. And I remember talking about this months ago with some Democrats who said that should be the push right now is to get the counting started because uh, it's going to result in some strange things on election night where it's going to look like Trump's winning, even though there's a whole lot of vote out there. Frankly, the, 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 it's going to kind of work in both directions that way because, because voting patterns are different. But it is, it is beyond unfortunate. And, and I would say, you know, mostly pure political, inexplicable uh, loggerheads of, uh, of debates that leave us in this situation where they're sitting there waiting. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be cynical, Rick. But I mean, you know, when you got a president that's out there saying that, you know, whoever is uh, in the lead on election night should be the winner. Uh, you know, I, I get a little skeptical as to why some of these local officials and, and, and it's 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 the Republicans. Let's be honest about this. It's the Republicans that have resisted the efforts uh, in the states you mentioned uh, to uh, to to get that process of, of vote counting early. So why? Why? I mean, you, you mentioned just general paralysis. I'm sure that's a factor. But I'm 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 suspicious that there's something else going on. Uh, one other, well, it's, and, and it, it's it's the lawsuit. It's litigious, litigious. I mean, there's just so many there's so many threats of lawsuits out there that it's kind of kept things a little bit more frozen than it needed to be. Yeah, and and uh, so 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 one other thing, just just to note before we uh, we we close off the podcast here, let's just underscore what 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 the secretary told us. He expects six million people to vote in Georgia. Six million. That's about two million more than voted last time. Four point one to over six million. That is that is an explosive uh, increase uh, in, in voting, and I mean that's that's the number one reason why Georgia appears to be in play. And Democrats believe they have a chance uh, to, to push Biden over the top in Georgia. And and to, to win one, if not two, of those Senate seats. And and when you see those numbers, I'll be watching very closely. Yeah, and and it's it's state after state. And you know, the unknowable here is whether the 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 record surge in early voting is going to be met with a record surge of in-person voting, because we know from our polling and from the turnout numbers in states that have partisanship. A lot more people are voting, are, are voting for the Dem- or, or Democrats that are voting right now early, and a lot more people will be Republicans on election day itself, voting in person on election day. So that's the that's the unknowable factor. But it is undeniable that people are engaged and voting in in just huge record shattering numbers in just about every state. 
on that note, thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. We will be back. You know, our next scheduled Powerhouse Politics is the day after the election. Something tells me we may have an emergency podcast along the way. Uh, until then, for the entire Powerhouse Politics team, including Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Rick Klein, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.